If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open your Bible uh, uh, with me, and we're going to continue the series on the ministry of the resurrected Christ. And uh, Jesus, he rose and ascended into heaven, but his ministry did not stop. He was still working powerfully through his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and Dr. Luke makes it really clear that Christ was at work um, uh, through them and among them. If you have your Bible, look with me to Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse number 32. If you have your Bible, I hope that you do. Acts chapter 9, verse... Y'all seem a little bit sullen today. You must have watched the Cardinals play the last four games. And so, uh, uh, all will be good after today. Now, Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down to the saints who lived in Ly- at Lydda. And there he found a man na- named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was at Jop- in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, saying, urging him, please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping, showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. And he knelt down, and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Father in heaven, I ask you to speak to our hearts today powerfully through your word. Father, there's some of us here today that feel hopeless. Some of us here today that feel grief. Some of us here today that feel immobilized. Some of us here today consumed with grief. Some of us here today feeling that we're far away from you. Lord, you know all about these needs and concerns. You know all about our hearts and where we're at spiritually. But I pray that you take the hope that's in this word from your word, 
and deliver it to our hearts and raise us up to be your witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of y'all believe that God is at work in this world? Raise your hand. You sure? He's at work, isn't he? We see his hand in a broken world. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. He hasn't moved. He's still at work in this broken world. And God's changing and restoring broken lives. Y'all believe that? You know, in, in, the, in the God, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus summoned them, and it says, and he gave them authority to heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness, and every kind of illness. And he says, go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. He told them as they went out and commissioned his apostles, disciples, go preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen, question, does God still heal today? Yes, he does. Clearly he does. Now, not everyone is healed here in this world, but I'm telling you what, there's healing in the wings of Jesus Christ. And he heals us not based on our good deeds. He heals us not based on our righteousness. He heals us not because he's beholden to us. He heals us according to his will and his power and because of his grace. Well, Christy and I were on vacation. We had the opportunity to meet with some uh, missionaries of ours that serve in London. It's uh, Alex and Jess Garcia. And uh, these uh, missionaries, uh, Lindsay knows and has become friends with them, as prayer partners with them. Christy had had the opportunity to meet them when they lived in Italy and were serving as missionaries in Italy. And now they've been reassigned to the city of London. And God is moving powerfully. We had the evening opportunity to sit with them, and we had coffee with Alex for an hour or so, hour and a half. And then we met with his wife. He he said, where would you all like to eat dinner? We said, wherever you choose. It's on us. But wherever you choose, let's go eat dinner. And he goes, do you like Indian food? Christy and I had had a discussion earlier. There's one food group we don't like. It's Indian food. I'm not a curry fan. And so I said, Christy says, oh, yeah, we'd love to. And so anyway, uh, we went to, we got a great Indian food place. So we went to eat Indian food. And it wasn't bad. It was, it was good. We enjoyed it. And uh, sort of. And so uh, it stayed with me for a few days. But anyway, that's another story. And so uh, uh, we had, we just were delighted. And there are two little girls. And then we walked the city after dinner for a long time. And uh, then we took the subway back to our hotel. As he was sharing with us about the power of God, he said, it's just amazing. In the last two years, 180 millennials have come to faith in Jesus Christ. He said, they've been baptized. We're meeting in small groups. We're meet, meeting in, off, uh, in work sites like WeWork sites. And they're meeting on Google's campuses here in London. And uh, he said, 
there's all these young people that are coming from all over the world to work there, and they're finding Jesus Christ, and they're sharing the gospel with one another. And I said, tell me about your strategy. We've developed a prayer strategy, and we're praying for our city. We pray for people by name. We pray over the streets while we walk. We pray for that God would set up divine encounters, and when we meet people, we pray for them. He said, I, he said God is moving powerfully. He says he's moving miraculously in ways that are mind-boggling to me, ways that didn't fit all of my theology that I've been taught. And he said, we see the hand of God moving powerfully, setting up divine appointments, and young men and young women coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He says that the prayer strategy goes with our evangelism strategy. He says, as we're walking, we're looking for ways to minister and conversations that we can have with people who are hurting or maybe seem to be alone or God leads us to say something to them. And then we ask them if we can pray for them. And when they share a prayer need with us, then we just pray for them at the moment and ask God to intervene, ask God to restore, ask God to heal. And people are being saved. He said, we have some missionary friends who invited us to come to Portugal. And he said, they were not seeing many people come to Christ at all. So we took a prayer team to Portugal from London as missionaries to Portugal. And he said, we were walking the streets. We came to one of the um, piazzas. And we were, there was a fountain there in the middle. And people were gathered. And it was a sunny day. And he said, we were just walking and asking God to open doors, and there were people gathered all around us. We had a team of, a team of about 10 of us. And he said there was a man there, and he was, he was crippled. And uh, we started talking to him and said, how could you pray? We pray for you. And he said, well, I've been crippled, and I can't walk hardly without this crutch. And he said, my life's miserable, and... and uh, they started talking to him about the gospel. And he said, can I pray for you? He said, yes, would you? And so they prayed, and they asked God to heal him. And he said, Brother Tim, I'm telling you, it was amazing. I've got pictures to show you. He got out of his phone and showed me. And he showed the man walking away from that fountain with that crutch under his leg, under his arm, and God had healed him. And he says it was amazing. People saw it all in that area, and they witnessed to him. And that man came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior in his 50s. And then young people started sharing the gospel with others. That, and he said by the end of the day, 25 young adults prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord because they had witnessed the power of God right there. When they left, they had started three new units in house churches and a new church was being formed because of the power of God. It's an amazing story. God is at work. Hmm. The story that we're looking at today is a story that's two stories. As found here in Acts, number one, Peter is traveling, and as he's traveling, he comes to a village, a town called Lydda. 
Now, Lydda is, um, if you're making your way from Jerusalem towards Caesarea, you would pass through Lydda. It was a, it was a small town that was, had a very significant Jewish population. It's west, northwest of Jerusalem, about 25 miles, so it's a full day's journey to get to Lydda. And so as you would head to Caesarea, you would go there, and Peter arrives at Lydda. Now, there are, as the Bible says there are a lot of saints there, so there must have been a lot of believers, but a very large Jewish population. The majority of the town would be Jewish. The other major town that had a significant, huge Jewish population is the town of Joppa, and we'll, the, the story continues there. And so uh, he's there, and so there's saints there, and it's in, near the plain of Sharon, and it's, Lido had a, a lot of agricultural and business interests. There was wine that was made in Lida. They had a great fig produce uh, uh, there, and they made fine linens there and pottery and a lot of significant business opportunities. And while he's at Lida, he meets a man named Aeneas. Aeneas has been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And so when he sees Aeneas, he said, the Lord Jesus heals you and, uh, and uh, get up and make your bed and go. And immediately, Christ's power was working and he was healed and he stood to his feet and made up his bed and everybody saw it. And the witness went out through the whole community in Lydda and in Sharon and many, many people gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing story? God is still working like that today. Some of the points I wanted to think about today as we look at these two stories. Number one, as we walk through this life, God sets up divine appointments. How many of y'all believe that? One of the things I pray for every day is that God would set up divine appointments in my life. Jesus said, as you go, as you're walking, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so he's called us to go, to, to be making disciples. In Luke's gospel, chapter number 10, Jesus commissions the, God, the, the disciples to go out and share the good news. And listen, in Luke's gospel, chapter number 10, beginning with verse number 2, and he was saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray, beseech the Lord the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes. Greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, say, peace be to this house. As a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. And if it not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For a laborer is worthy of his wages. Don't keep moving house to house. But whatever sitter you enter, and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Listen, verse 9 and heal those in it who are sick, 
and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. This is exactly what Peter is doing. He makes his way to Lydda, and he encounters a man who needs healing, and he's praying, praying for divine appointments, and God uses Peter powerfully in Aeneas's life, and many turn to Christ. Are you praying for divine appointments in your life? One of the things I pray about often is, God, help me today to be sensitive to how you're working, a divine appointment that you have. Maybe that divine appointment shows up in a place that you don't think. But when you're thinking, when I pray like that, when I go to the grocery store, it's unbelievable. God might bring somebody into my path that needs a word, a word of witness, an encouragement, or I can share my faith with. Or go to a restaurant and have something to eat and person that waits on me or somebody that sits near to me. Or I go to the barber shop and whoever the person is is cutting my hair. I have an opportunity to be a witness to them. Or when I go to the bank. The other day I went to the bank and there was a young lady that waited on me. She'd never waited on me before. And I said, are you new? She said, well, I haven't worked at this branch very long. I said, and so we exchanged names. I said, uh, she's just a young, young woman. She uh, probably in her 20s. And I, 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 I started talking to her and I said, I said, do you live here? She said, no, I live in Collinsville. And I said, oh, and so I just began to talk with her. And, and I said, well, my name is Tim. I, I said, I'm pastor of Bethel Church right out here. And she goes, I know where it's at. I drive right by it every day, going back and forth. I said, I'd love for you to visit sometime. And she's, I said, do you have a church background? She goes, well, yeah, but I don't really go. I, I used to go. And, and she goes, I don't, I probably wouldn't fit in. I said, why? She goes, well, I, I'm Jehovah Witness. I said, so? I said, you're welcome. And, uh, and, and I didn't say it, but I thought, there's a lot of other people got a lot of other problems at our church. You're welcome, too. <laughs> she said, really? I said, yeah. She said, I'll be there. She hasn't come yet. But I was praying for divine appointments when I went back into the bank this month. Guess who waited on me? And I said, I've still been looking for you. She goes, I know. She says, every time I drive by going home, I think about you now. <laughs> These are God gives us opportunities. I had a speaking engagement last week and a week before last in Mount Vernon. I drove over there. I got there early, uh, maybe an hour before the service. I stopped at McDonald's, got a cup of coffee. There were some young kids there. And, and by young kids, I think they're in high school. They were in high school. And... Uh, There were issues. I'm not going to go into all the issues, but I could hear the talk conversation. And then I, the Lord just said, Tim, you're looking at their issues. You're not looking at them. And all of a sudden, the blinders fell off, and I started looking at them. And she was carrying a baby doll. The reason she was carrying a baby doll was part of a class, I'm sure, at school that she had to carry 
and something went off and the baby needed some attention. And then I noticed that she appeared to be pregnant. She couldn't have been 15. And so the Lord said, talk to her. So I went over and one of them was playing a computer game and I said, hey, how you guys doing? I said, uh, are you all from here? Yeah. I said, yeah. I said, well, I'm from out of town. I just saw you. I'm going to be speaking at an engagement down the street. And they kind of blew me off. And I said, I've noticed the baby. What's this all about? And, was, and so they started telling me. They started being engaged. And then the young, I said, well, I, I'm a pastor, and I happen to be here in town. And, and anything I pray for you about? And the girl looked at me. And tears welled up in her eyes. She said, I'm going to have a baby. The young man got up and left. I said, is he the dad? He said, yeah. She said, but I'm scared he'll leave us. I said, can I pray for you? She said, would you? So I prayed for them. Divine appointments. And they're all around us. But we've got to start seeing people in need beyond their pain, beyond obnoxious behaviors. Amen. Number two, as we minister to others, we need to see them as what they can become by the power of God. Not what they are now, but what they can be. Look with me in the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today and, and notice in verse number 33 and 34, Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Make your bed. And immediately he got up. It was the power of God. In verse number 33, it says, They found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden how long? Eight years. Aeneas was paralyzed for eight years. Immobile. Unable to walk, limited ability, dependent on other people. And he's been long time lame. And so it's hopeless, the idea that he would ever walk again by the world's thinking. And here's a false notion. Listen, folks, listen close. The false notion is this, that the longer you've been in a condition, the less likely it is that you'll be healed. Where'd you get that idea? This man was that way for eight years. We give up our faith, and we don't trust in God's power. And when we look at people, we're an, we think that they're unable to be healed, unable to be saved, unable to be changed, because they've been like that for a long time. I'm telling you, your timetable and your evaluation is not God in heaven, but it's yours, and it's based on false assumptions. God is at work in this world. Number three, as we respond to brokenness, we act trusting in the personal power of Christ, the present personal power of Jesus. In verse number 30, 34, Aeneas, Jesus, Christ, present tense, heals you. Jesus is right here. And Jesus has all power, and Jesus is healing you. 
Could somebody say amen right there? Lo, I'm with you always. There's never a time that Christ isn't with us. His power is there. We're never alone, and Christ heals you. Jesus is the healer, not you. Not some guy on TV. It's Jesus Christ is the one that heals us. It's his name, it's his authority, and it's his presence. Jesus is the one that heals. In Luke's gospel, chapter number 7, I'm telling you, this is what Jesus does. John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus and his disciples and said, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? And he said to John's disciples, John the Baptist, you go report back to John. The blind see and have sight. The lame are walking. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He was quoting Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Jesus is alive. God's presence is in him. He is God in the flesh, and he has come to change people's lives. Folks, Jesus is still changing lives today. Do you believe it? He is. The resurrected Jesus Christ has ascended to the Father. He's sitting by the Father. He's given us the power of God. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He dwells with us. He is with us, and he's changing lives today. He saved your old sorry soul, didn't he? He did. And if he can do that for you, he can do that for anybody else. Because you're just as messed up as they get. Tell your neighbor, you messed up, man. But God saved you. God saved you. He is saving and changing lives. Number four, changed lives by the power of God are a powerful witness to unbelievers. Verse number 35, notice, and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon. Now, by Sharon, that's the, the plain of Sharon, the that, that part of the, out of the hills and mountains, down toward, moving toward the coast in the fertile valley called the Valley of Sharon. And they saw him. And they turned to the Lord. When they saw his life changed, they turned to the Lord. They believed in the Lord. They repented of sin and put their faith in Christ and they were transformed. So this man was healed physically, but hundreds were changed spiritually and gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Craig Keener is a scholar, theologian, author, professor, PhD from Duke University, written probably one of the most outstanding commentaries on the gospel of the book of Acts that's been produced in the last 150 years. It, it's it's multi-volume, it's exhaustive in its scope, and well-received all over the world. Craig Keener writes in, in Acts, he tells a story about a Christian doctor that went on a medical mission trip in northern India. And he encountered a man who was lame, had been lame for many, many, many years. And as a matter of fact, his feet and legs were so twisted, he was sitting in a permanent seat, sitting position with his legs tucked under him. And he said, they're so distorted that no surgery would be possible to heal such a man. 
And so this medical doctor just looked at him and said, can I pray for you? And he said, wonders of wonders that took him by complete surprise on a medical missionary trip. He prayed for this man, and God's power immediately restored him. And he stood up and walked, and he said, everybody was in awe. And he said, people started believing and trusting. He said, our medical mission trip turned into an evangelistic campaign. People started getting saved all over that region because of the power of God. Here's some truths concerning our healing and restoration. Number one, it's a visible demonstration of the power of God when God acts in such a way. Secondly, it's a visible demonstration of the love of God, that He loves us no matter what our condition. People used to teach that if you were in a bad condition like that, it must be because you are very sinful and you're being repaid because of your sin. When God brings healing to your life, He's telling everybody about the love of God, demonstrating that visibly. Thirdly, healing benefits the person healed, of course. But healing ultimately is for the glory of God. That God would be honored and God would be praised. Not a man, but God would be praised. The Lord Jesus healed you. Healing validates the gospel message. It's so prevalent on mission fields. It gives validity to the very message we teach. And healing is so that lost people would be saved. Wow. Many were turning to the Lord. It was a great miracle. A whole town of people were turning to the Lord. There's a testimony of, of witness of hope and power of Christ that is used by the Lord to foster faith in others who are hurting. And that's exactly what's happened. They hear of this, and it's spread everywhere. And, and we don't know how many days that Peter is in Lydda, but the news spread throughout the whole region about God's amazing healing power. It's kind of like, it's, it's for testimony to God. It's like the man that, remember when Peter and John are going to the temple, and there's a man begging for alms? And Peter looks at him and says, look at us. And he said to the blind man, he, I mean, he says to this, this beggar, he said, silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the man stood up and walked. And he was walking in the temple and complex and praising God. And all the people were praising him. And when Peter and John are called on the carpet by authority, by the authorities about causing confusion, they said, listen, understand, this man is standing here because of the power of God. It's because Jesus is at work. And Jesus is changing lives. And this is, this is the message that we have, the greatest message in all the world, that Christ can change lives. There's a little town just further down the road. It's about 12 miles, a town called Joppa. Today it's called Jaffa or Jaffa. It's, it's a, a seacoast port. It's connected... Um, it, 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 it was Israel's most important port for many, many years. And so 
the disciples had heard that Peter was near in Lydda. Now, there was a woman there that was so well thought of. Look at the scripture with me. And uh, her name is Tabitha. And she's also called Dorcas. That's her Greek name. And so uh, Dorcas was a woman. She was a disciple of Jesus, verse 38. And she hears, uh, she, she falls sick and she dies suddenly. She had shown all these charitable things and given of herself so powerfully. And so they hear that Jesus is near and they send for Peter to come and help. Number six, no person's condition is beyond the power of God. Nobody's condition is beyond the power of God. And look in verse number 40. Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. It says, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes when she saw Peter and sat up. Now that will blow your mind. Amen. Tabitha was called a disciple. That's an interesting term that is used here. It's a masculine word, disciple, but she definitely, this is a woman. It's a female, meaning that she's most likely a leader in the church. This, this term, disciple, usually not a given to women. She is a problem, most likely a, very much a leader in this church in Jaffa. She was prominent among men and women, and particularly among widows. And uh, she had a spiritual influence in their life. She abounds, notice in verse number 36, she, her name, uh, a disciple named Tabitha, and she abounding in deeds of kindness and charity that she continually did. She was rich in good works, rich in generosity, and constantly doing good deeds. That's the kind of woman she was. And she fell sick and died suddenly without warning. So what did they do? They took her body, and as Jewish people normally would do, they washed the body and preparing it for burial. Normally in Jewish culture and custom, when you would die, they would bury your body that same day. She lived in a house that had an upper room to it, and so they carried the body in an upper room and laid it on a cot or a table in this upper room. And they sent for Peter. And so it's about a 12-mile hike and then a 12-mile hike back. That's about four, four and a half hours to get there and four, four and a half hours to get back. So it's an all-day deal. And so they send the disciples, uh, their, uh, people from Jaffa to, the, to Peter and ask him to come. And Peter immediately, without delay, makes his way there. Let me say something about death. Death seems so final, doesn't it? Whenever somebody that you love and they die, it seems so final. She was dead, and I want to submit something to you. She was a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Listen close to me. She was a follower of Jesus. That means she followed Jesus. She was changed by Jesus. She was on mission with Jesus. That's the kind of woman she was. And when she died, something bad didn't happen to her. Something glorious happened to her. She went to be home with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. She was with the Lord. But there was some confusion probably in the church about, about what happens when good believers like this die and why did they die. And so when a loved one dies, 
Often we think that's a bad thing, but when that loved one loves the Lord Jesus, it's not a bad thing. It's a glorious thing because they quit living in a world of sin, and now they're in the presence of the Lord himself. That's amazing. But these early disciples, these women, were grieving terribly. Paul would later write, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who fall asleep that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Listen. I, if you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangels and the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. And those who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we shall always be with the Lord. I'm telling you what, when you die, the moment I die, if somebody said, Brother Tim's dead, don't you believe it? I'm not dead, I'm more alive than I've ever been, amen? I will be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Peter arrives, they start showing him the garments, they start telling the stories about her generosity and her love and her discipleship. And they, he sees them weeping. He hears their stories. And Peter said, where's the body? They said, she's up, they put it upstairs. She's dead. They're all crying. He says, y'all stay here. And Peter goes up to the upper room by himself. When he's up there all by himself, he kneels down on his knees and he starts praying. And then he's moved by the Holy Spirit and he looks at her body and he said, Tabitha, Tabitha, get up. And her eyes opened up and she saw Peter. She's going, who are you, dude? She sat up. He took his hand. She took his hand. She sits up. And then he called all the saints. Hey, girls! <laughs> hey! Hey, guys! Come here! And he presents her alive from the dead. Would that be a hallelujah church service on that day? Glory. That is God's power. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ alone can bring a life back from the dead. Only Jesus, only Jesus can bring somebody back from the dead. That's the next point, point seven. Only he can. Jesus is the one that heals. Jesus is the one that healed Aeneas, and Jesus is the one that raised her from the dead. Jesus said in John chapter 11, to Mary Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he would die, yet shall he live. You see, there was a misunderstanding in Jewish culture about resurrection life, and some might have become confused about it. The Sadducees taught that there was no resurrection of the dead. These are the Jewish leaders. Remember how they questioned Jesus about it? and said, well, listen, we've got a question for you. There was this woman, and she was married to a, a brother, and this brother died, and 
and they never had any children. So she married a, not, one of his brothers. There were seven brothers in the family. And she married the second brother, and they never had any children, and he died suddenly. And then she married the third brother, and they didn't have any children, and he died suddenly. And then it went on. Listen, wouldn't you hate to be in that line? And so that lineup. And so, and he says, theoretically, in this story, it's, it's, now it's just a crazy story. He said, so all seven brothers lived, none, none of them had any children. And so if there's a resurrection, who will be her husband in the resurrection? And he said, you fools don't know anything about the word of God or the power of God. First of all, there's not going to be marriage and giving him marriage because we'll be like the angels in heaven. Secondly, haven't you read when, Jesus, when Moses encountered God on the mountain of God, in the burning bush, he said, I am, I am presently the God of Abraham. I've been presently the God of Isaac. I am presently the God of Jacob. They'd all been dead and gone for 400 years, more than 400 years. But he's saying, I am the God of the living and not the dead. Let me tell you something. Our God is the God of the living and not the dead. And he is in control. And he proved to everybody by this powerful resurrection that he is the God of resurrection and life. I'm telling you, healing and restoration was a sign of the power of God. Aeneas would get sick again. Aeneas would eventually die. And so he was restored, but it was only a temporary restoration. He would get sick and die someday because we live in a world of sin. But it pointed to an ultimate resurrection and healing in Jesus Christ. Dorcas, like Lazarus, was raised from the dead, but when she was raised from the dead, it was for the glory of God. And didn't that woman have a testimony to share? How would you like to be in community group with her? How fun is that? She says, guys, you'll never believe it. I died and I was... I, I don't even know that I died. I just woke up and I, I, was in the, I was in the presence of God himself. It was a glorious. It was amazing. And then I hear this voice calling me back. I'm telling you, sisters, it's real. He's alive. And there's resurrection from the dead. Sin and sickness and death are defeated in the cross of Jesus Christ. Sin has been undone and no longer has power over us. And we have hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death is arrested and a new life begins in me. Wow, there's no grave going to hold this body down. He's coming again for all of us. It brings glory to God, number eight. Brings glory and praise to the name of Jesus. And everybody in both houses, at Aeneas' house and the whole city of Lydda, turning to Christ. And in Jaffa, that great port city, people from all over the city are giving praise to God and coming to Christ. And the last point is God does it for evangelism purposes. These miracles just so... That he did not raise Dorcas so she could make some more tunics. He raised Dorcas so that those who aren't saved could be saved. He raised them. He changes a life. He does it so that God is glorified and the gospel's validated and that the lost will be saved. 
This is what God does. Now listen closely to me. Listen close. You've got hope today. Can somebody say amen? You have hope today. You may feel wounded today. You may feel lame today. You may feel immobilized today. You may feel like you're a paralytic yourself today. Listen closely to me. The, the Lord is with you. And the Lord can raise you up. And the Lord can heal you. He can restore you, give you life and meaning and purpose. And you can be saved today. And your life can change forever. You may feel like, but I've gone too far. My life's such a wreck. I feel like a hopeless case. Nobody was more hopeless than Oaneus. Eight years laying on that bed. But Jesus healed him that day. And Jesus can heal you if you turn to him and you trust in him. He'll save you and give you life. Maybe you feel like you don't have any hope in your life. Dorcas seemed to be hopeless. A dead corpse. But God raised her up. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, and you cannot save yourself. But the good news is this. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, died your death on Calvary's cross. And death is defeated, and new life is for all of us in Jesus Christ. Maybe you feel like, I'm beyond hope. No, you've discounted the power of God, my friend. God who created you. God who spoke you into existence, the God that gave you a soul, is the God that died for you on the cross. And he's the God who will raise you from dead. And he's a God that will infuse you with spiritual life. And he'll give you hope in this life. And he'll give you a testimony in this broken world. And he will change your life forever. That's what God can do. Have you trusted him? I'm telling you, it's real. I'm not just... This isn't just a sermon. It's real, man. He changes lives. And he can change yours. Father in heaven, today, may we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus as our Savior. Heal us. Raise us up. Forgive us. Give us new life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.